This is Place Matters, a podcast at the intersection of race, place, and poverty, where we explore the belief that the path towards ending inequity and promoting prosperity is through the work of holistic neighborhood development. Welcome to a special series focusing on the role of churches in their neighborhoods. During this series on Place Matters, we will talk to leaders, scholars, practitioners, and mobilizers who speak to the joys and challenges of inviting churches into partnership with their neighborhood. I'm Sean Duncan, the Director of Training and Consulting for FCS, and my colleague, David Park, one of our lead consultants, will be your host for this series of Place Matters. FCS is a faith-based community development organization. And one of the things I love about FCS is the fact that our faith has led us to build a bigger table rather than to construct higher walls. This winsome and generous approach to faith has attracted a lot of current and former congregational leaders to join our team. Guided by faith, driven to love neighbor, and committed to the role of the church, many of our team have struggled through the complications of leading churches into the world around them to participate in redemptive work. Though it ought to be as involuntary as blinking, many of us have found churches anywhere from resistant to confused about why, how, and if they should do this work. Every one of our stories emerges from different Christian traditions, contexts, membership sizes, budget constraints, but we have had very similar experiences when calling the church to love their neighbor and their neighborhood. Listen in as one of our lead consultants, a pastor himself, David Park, talks to a number of our staff about the tensions and opportunities of becoming a place-based church. We're trying to have a conversation about uh, the church and the neighborhood. A lot of us on FCS staff have served uh, or are serving on church staff. Mm -hmm. So uh, a few of us have gotten together today to talk about that. So please introduce yourself and tell us what role you play at FCS. I'm Brianna Dorellis, and I am a lead trainer and consultant, a part of the Lupton Center. And I've been here for a little over three months. So yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm Stacy Brungar, and I'm also a lead trainer and consultant with the Lupton Center at FCS. And I've been here about three years, but in partnership with FCS for at least seven. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was that long. Yeah. So I'm David Park, and I'm also a lead trainer and consultant at uh, the Lupton Center at FCS. And I've been here for almost two years now. Mm -hmm. So oh, wow. yeah. all of us on, on the Lupton Center are doing training and consulting. But all of us have also served on church staff before. So mm -hmm. let's go around and share what role and responsibility do we serve on church staff? Oh, um, well, I was a community development coordinator for the city and county. Um, and I also was a program director for workforce development and educational development programs. And that was part of church staff? It was. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, so I was a volunteer coordinator. You know, you have slashes like in. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> volunteer, <laughs> yeah. volunteer coordinator slash Volunteer engagement director. Um, and so, but under that, it was social media and women's mm -hmm. ministry leading and 
community outreach and all the ands. Yeah. So, um, but my official title was like ended up being volunteer engagement um, director. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and I serve as a lead pastor uh, for a church called Open Table Community in, in the metro Atlanta area. And I've been mm-hmm. doing that for almost 12 years. 12 years? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm surprised. Wow. I'm surprised too. I didn't think I could make it this long. So <laughs> If you haven't had the opportunity to attend a service there, you should. I need to visit. I've been trying to bring her. I'm going to visit. I'm coming. (laughs) So um, given that we've all served various roles in church, um, what what brought you to FCS? Like, how did you get here? Mm. Oh, what a story. Um, (laughs) So I served four years um, in the ministry, and I came on board uh, August of 2019, and so, honestly, most of my time in ministry had been the pandemic. Wow. And mm. so having to navigate being on staff and being new, like, to that space, but then also leading people, guiding people, um, connecting people in, you know, a pandemic was something that was unprecedented for any church, mm. right? And so, number one, I think um, after that was said and done— I just didn't realize how much it had affected me um, that I had, you know, a lot of pressure and weight on what does this look like, you know, in, you know, a pandemic. And we honestly, we just won't know until years and years after this is said and done what actual impact the pandemic Mm -hmm. has had on all of us. Um, But going through the pandemic, also in the pandemic, in ministry, I had two kids. And so that happened then. Um, my husband was in full-time ministry with me. And so navigating sort of kind of all of those changes and differences um, and knowing that I had a heart for consulting um, is something that I wanted to do. It's something I had been doing anyway um, outside of ministry. Mm. And I was being called to move more in that direction of consulting. Mm-hmm. And I had a real issue of like, okay, am I leaving a God thing mm-hmm. like for a Brianna thing? Uh-huh. And I had to really come to the realization that ministry is is all encompassing. Yeah. And it's not just within like these four, you know, church walls, but oh, mm-hmm. um, ministry can be vocational. It can be outside of those things. And um, my consultancy was directly around uh, volunteerism, community engagement, mm-hmm. and leading in that way. And so I had this random conversation with Sean. I knew FCS had existed. Um, I think back in 2015, mm-hmm. um, I had read Toxic Charity, and so I had knew that it was around. And I was like, you know what? Let me look up their website. And I saw, oh, training and consulting. I was like, I love connecting mm-hmm. with people networking with people. Mm. Let me connect with Sean. We met up at like Refuge Coffee in Clarkston and we just chatted it out and it was super cool. And I was like, great, I have somebody else in my network that's also doing this good work. Yeah. And so then um, he sent me an email. I was like, hey, would love for you to show, I mean, share out this uh, new consulting, you know, job description that we have, send it out to folks. And I was like, Maybe not. not Maybe I might not send that out. (laughs) Maybe I may keep that for myself. And I prayed about it. I thought about it. I was like, is this the right direction? Um, I knew that my time in ministry was ending Mm. um, because of 
me wanting to be in consulting because of me wanting to, you know, have more of a constricted time frame mm. for my work. Right. Knowing that uh, with church, it could be oh. uh, mm-hmm. somebody oh. calling you at 9 p.m. at night. Hey, let's pray together. Or I got to go pick somebody up from the airport. Like it was a lot. And I was like, I got a one year old, a two year old. Like I need some constraints. Mm. And so that's why I'm and some boundaries. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I made that decision to go ahead and, you know, apply. And here I am. Well, our stories are kind of similar mm. in that. Well, I mean, I was doing I was doing ministry and obviously pandemic kind of switched things up. So I think a lot of us in the pandemic were like, what how else do I want to spend the rest of my days? Like, yes. what do I need to change about my life? Mm-hmm. And so for me, what it did was it made the church a little bit smaller in my perspective. Like, oh, we can do church on very little or we can minimize this all these programs, all this stuff. It's just, I, I shouldn't say it's all fluff, but like a lot of it can be reduced to like, hey, we know what we're doing. We're going to try to keep things simple. And and for me, it was like, okay, I can I can do this and do something else, mm. which uh, my wife, my wife was also um, trying to do some change up her career path, and and so I was like, okay, I need to pick up some work to allow my wife's sort of changes and sort of things that are happening. I'm like, we got to make that happen. So um, mm-hmm. when this Sean sent me an email saying, hey, would you, you know, if there's anybody that you know that could be interested in this role, and I was like, I'm interested <laughs> right. in this role. I'm Is not this sharing this with anybody. <laughs> yeah, but that's right. Maybe this. Is, oh, we found Sean's recruiting plan. So. Um, so then I was like, hey, could I apply for this? And so same thing. I, wow. I applied. And I was like, oh, okay, this I'm going to try to make this work. And I've loved it. That's amazing. It. Yeah. That's awesome. How about you, Stacey? You, you came on four years before you came on. So how, <laughs> yeah. how did that happen? Huh. Well, <laughs> I sort of came in backwards, if you will. So like, beep, uh, beep, exactly. Beep. Oh, okay. So I was working uh, for the church, but not in a role you would expect. I was actually the custodian. And so what I began doing or what God was doing through me was he gave me ministry where I could utilize my role to employ other people in the neighborhood. And so, because I knew other mamas were struggling. And so how could I do that? So it actually was a catalyst for me to start my own cleaning business. Um, And so because I lived in the neighborhood and was listening to the neighborhood and building relationships with the neighborhood, um, I had a whole lot of trust and credibility that other folks in the church world did not have mm-hmm. as the institution, right? right. And so um, the church started growing because people started coming <laughs> because it kind of just removes some of the barriers to have that middle person that you can come to if you don't understand what's being said at the pulpit or, you know, for any reason. Like, I became a middle person. And so this idea of um, opening a community center came into play. And uh, so the church decided they wanted to invest in giving me more formal education or supporting that. Mm-hmm. So I actually got my GED, and then I went on and took couple of years of community college, uh, studying sociology and things that, you know, psychology, things that interested me. Um, and then I was offered the role of community development coordinator to launch this new community center. So I was actually doing the things that we're training leaders to do mm. um, as far as communicating, asking what the priorities are of the neighborhood um, before we implemented programs. Wow. And so the neighborhood was a huge part of strategic planning. 
um, and also like recruitment and grassroots word of mouth. Um, so promoting that ministry. And uh, yeah, and then we ended up being uh, 100% staffed by the neighborhood. Wow. And, and so, mm. yeah, we lasted uh, for seven years and then COVID um, happened. And so at that time, Sean had just gotten word from the Lily Endowment that we had won the the Thriving Congregations grant. Uh-huh. So he called me immediately when he opened the email and was like, finally I have a job for you. Come uh-huh. on over. I've been waiting for this opportunity. And I was like, whoa, your timing is perfect. Yes, sir. So um, I'm glad to be here because I felt like the it was a really difficult um, challenge for me mm. to kind of incorporate or align philosophy with the church because it was more about attrition than it was about the neighborhood. Ooh. And so... What an interesting segue. So let's talk mm-hmm. about some of the different tensions between church and neighborhood. Mm-hmm. What, what, what were, like you said, you said attrition versus neighborhood. So yeah, talk more, unpack that tension a little bit more. Well, in honoring dignity of people in neighborhood, mm. it's really important that we're not uh, propping them up uh, for Sunday services and... Things like that. And so that, you know, I found myself constantly having to establish healthy boundaries and reinforce them, which was difficult because uh, I think that a lot of folks, because they hadn't had the lived experience and weren't necessarily receiving it as an expertise, um, that I was kind of not being heard often or, or treated as a person that knew if you go about this way, you know, you're you're doing this you're putting forth effort in an episodic event to make connection with the neighborhood, but it's at the church and they don't know you and there's no connection or genuineness. Any reason for you to call me afterwards would mean you're trying to get me into the church. And so I can easily avoid that phone call. So there was no uh, impact beyond the event and the volunteers being exhausted. Right. Which is fascinating because even as you're describing your role, it sounds very innovative. Like I hadn't heard mm-hmm. of churches hiring from the neighborhood and then staffing mm-hmm. your sort of department with people from the neighborhood. So it was like, oh, they're ahead of the game. Like they're ahead of mm-hmm. many churches that I've heard of or even talked to. And then you're saying even though they're ahead of the game, they're actually sabotaging it because they keep it an episodic sort of still still distant. That There's still some distance between church and neighborhood there. Absolutely. And because I was one employee that started out part time and ended up full time because it was so successful. Mm. But then it became a, you know, when you're working with government and, you know, city officials and federal government and things like that. The church is kind of standoffish, but so is the federal government. Like, right, right, right. Um, so you can't proselytize. And I think that was kind of the beginning of the end. Um of that program, which was called the collective. But I think that was the beginning of the end because it just became too difficult for the church. And I don't think they ever thought it was going to become what it did, but it became what it did. Well, cause originally it was a food bank, a clothing shelter. <laughs> yeah. And so the neighborhood didn't want that. Uh. So I had to push uphill all the way and, and provide evidence and, information and data of why this would be a good decision. Like, So it became strained because the church 
started off with good intentions, but then it, it, maybe it lacked return on investment, right? A, a strong ROI for the church from the church perspective. Yeah, I think it. I think it was a hard decision, though, in their defense. I think it was a really hard decision. Mm. But it really boils down to is if you are how deeply are you willing to invest yeah. and make that your mission, right. like your local mission. Because if you're not willing to invest, yeah, then you're never going to connect with neighborhood. You're, you know, you will sporadically, but right. not with any depth. Wow. Brianna, what has your experience been with sort of uh, the tensions between church and neighborhood? Yeah, I think they're just speaking from a general perspective in interacting and engaging with a lot of churches and my own. There is definitely a difference between a church that is in a neighborhood Mm -hmm. and that is just an institution in a neighborhood Versus it being a part of the fabric of the neighborhood, Mm. a living, working part of the ecosystem of the neighborhood. And it's this difference between are we going to connect with the neighborhood as a form of how we can live out our charity? Mm. Or how are we going to actually connect with them because we see them as valuable people that also belong in God's kingdom? And I think those are like very different approaches Mm -hmm. Um, even with a lot of churches um, that I've interacted with there is this feeling of we think about the community as the people who attend the church yep Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. that's that's who our community is but then outside of that like the the next door over or the next person over they are either a member of our church, which is a part of our community, or they are someone that needs to be a part of our community, oh, yeah. um, or they are just the person that we live out our discipleship to by giving them stuff. Uh, and so we put you know, people in certain categories of how are you going to benefit the church? And there is, like you were staying, saying, Stacy, that deep non-committal. Ness. I don't mm-hmm. even know if that's a word. The deep non-committalness. <laughs> it is now. Of, of not deeply building relationships. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the scriptures it's saying, you yeah. know, yeah. take care of the widow, take care of the orphan. But how many times have, like, that scripture never said that we're the saviors to be able to it take did, wait, care of what? them. What? What? That, what? It, it didn't say it's the, the church. Well, not in my Bible. The book of second opinion <laughs> says otherwise. <laughs> right. <laughs> So literally, it's like, yeah, in what ways, though, are we taking care of them? Mm-hmm. And and through what means are we taking care of them? And so I've definitely seen community and neighbors, neighborhoods, be an object of their charity, but they're not seen as partners in creating a better space and creating a better, better place and world. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think with a lot of... Churches, specifically white churches, dealing with black and brown folks is definitely this. How can we um, push and bring God to this place? Oh, wow. When there's already this assumption that God just isn't there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we have to bring it and how we're going to bring it is through these programs, is through these charities, is through, you know, these food banks 
but not really looking at, wait a second, they're partners in this. Yeah. So how can we bring them along and walk alongside right. versus doing two? Yeah. Mm. Well, I think as a as the pastor of this church, like I, I um, have to confess, even though I had known about Christian community development and been to like CCDA conferences before, I think there's so many there's so many things to confess, like, man, I screwed up. Like, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't realize how deep the water was. I didn't realize how many times a church has failed the neighborhood before I got there. Mm. And therefore, I'm continuing mm. in a series of mistakes and broken promises or uh, failed expectations. So I think that's where, um, and, and as, as a church, we're also trying to figure out our capacity. Like, what's our capacity yeah. to make those commitments that we can actually stick to? Yes. And there's a lot of times where I think there's inadvertent outsourcing. Like, oh, if I make a partnership here, they'll they'll be our connection to the neighborhood. And it turns out like, nah, you can't really outsource. You, you can't outsource relationships. You know what I mean? Like, you can't be like, if you get to know my wife, you know, yep. you'll be close to me. No, it's like, you're just close to my wife. That's what you, yeah. you know, that's not how relationships work. They're not, I mean, they might be transit, transitive in the sense that there might be trust built up because like, oh, you know, so-and-so, oh, I love so-and-so. But that doesn't mean I love you and I trust you. Yes. So that's mm-hmm. been a real interesting, like, oh, we really screwed up on that front. We screwed up on the fact that uh, as a church, you're trying to do something innovative because you're like, oh, there's already 16 churches in this neighborhood. So it would be different. And then you mm. recognize, like, well, they don't want what we got. And so so that's like, oh, okay, then I guess we're just going to be a church for us who like this thing that's innovative. And then you realize it's not that innovative. Yeah. It's been done and tried before. And nobody likes it anyway. Or they don't like you or they don't like what you, uh, what they don't like the way you practice or how you do things. So it's just like very, I will say the last, the last few years have been super humbling mm-hmm. for me to recognize like, man, I just can't. I, I'll partner with partnerships and I'll try to be at those tables where I can say, I'm not going to speak for the neighbors, but I, you know, I think the neighbors need this. I think neighbors need to be here. But that's when I, I think yeah. I've started to like, at least accept my role. Like I'm going to just take the L and I'm just going to say, you know, I'm just going to say I I messed up and where, however we can listen and do this at a very slow rate. So like, that's the other thing I've recognized about uh, church is that we have this sense of hubris where we think we're going to do something amazing for God. Yeah, It's got to be big, go big or go home. Yeah. So now Mm -hmm. I'm like, we just ordinary. It's good. We may Mm -hmm. not make a difference at all. We may make, we may be able to help one family in 10 years. Mm. So that's our rate of return. And I think if I can be honest about that, that's probably been our rate of return. It's like, well, we've been around for 12 years, at least with me at the at, at the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. And I think we've helped maybe a handful of people, mm-hmm. if I'm yeah. really honest. You know, I think that's so good, David, because I think what has definitely seeped into the church as we think about community is that qu- quantity yeah. over quality. And even when we look at it from like, from all perspective, from a philanthropic perspective, when you're filling out a grant, it's how many of these things have you done? Yep. And that qualifies you, yep. right? And I think in the same way, when we think about churches, we have this continued you know, space of, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Because from a good place and a good intent, we our hearts bleed at the things of the world that we see. Mm. And that we want to make a change and we want to make an impact. Um, but in the same vein of that, ensuring that that impact is not clouded 
by quantity or clouded by selfish ambition Come on, and selfish yes. ambition from the church. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, there's a there's a thing there of like, you know, we want to be the church that helps these many people. Right. But at what expense of the person themselves yeah, yeah. of going through this very, you know, tran- transactionary thing. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a really good point. And, and also what you said about just like, wait a second, I'm going to humble myself. We're going to humble ourselves. Or we've been humbled. And, and, yeah. Or been humbled, yeah, humbled. right. Yeah, yeah. And like take an assessment of like, this is the harm that we've done. What does it look like for repair? Yeah. And what is like to, to change the tide so that neighbors are not only being heard, but they're in the driver's seat yeah. for being able to be a part of the of the partnership, which I think is so important. That's that's that training that has to happen because um like you said, if it's if the act of service is more about numbers, quantity, than it is quality, then we're not really making disciples because Ooh. disciples are called to love your neighbor and that's fulfilling the entire command. And so if we're not training congregation yeah. um, to how to engage, because a lot of folks really think they do know how already. Oh, um, and so that's where you get the pushback in this community development type of partnership because it is a different philosophy than what's traditionally practiced. Yeah. And so I've been hurt by church mm-hmm. um, in some of those ways that you just mentioned. Like I will never, I'll just share one quick story. Yeah. I'll never forget. Um, I had a flat tire one day and I had messaged my precepts group to let them know it was like a chain text, you know, to let them know that I was going to be late because I needed to get my tire fixed and I didn't have a spare. This is back when I was the janitor, the custodian. And um, so I got my car towed to this tire store. One of the ladies from Precepts called me and was saying, like, let me let me pay for the tire. And I was like, no, I actually have the money for it. But God, that was sweet. Thank you. Well, so she went ahead and called the tire place and paid over the phone before they finished which was nice. And I was like, well, that was super generous of her, you know, because even though I told her I could afford it, she wanted to gift me that. That's generosity. And um, so like a week later, she was like the events coordinator. And I'm cleaning this massive entire church alone on a Saturday to get it ready for Sunday morning. And she was coordinating some event and she had pulled up in an SUV loaded with heavy boxes from like Costco and there's like 20 stairs to get up the steps from her car. And she needed me to stop what I was doing and help her with the boxes. So I did for a little bit. And then I was like, I really have to get back because it's going to be dark soon. Like, I need to get this finished and because uh, I got kids to get home to. And she was like, you know, you've been given much. Mm. I expect you to help me just like I helped you. And this was help I didn't ask for. Wow. So... Gift and generosity oftentimes in church world comes with some expectations that mm. have not been defined prior to your generosity. Mm. So and I was hurt and I didn't want anybody's help anymore like for a little while sure. and t- until I learned like yeah. that that's this person's issue, not not mine. Yeah. And while she belittled me and hurt me, um, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. 
And so, yeah. And in fact, I did help her, but she was she wasn't grateful for the help I gave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, and and when we thinking it, when we're thinking about places and neighborhoods, is there a role that the church can uniquely play, or is it is it pretty much, hey, church, you just gotta sit down and just just listen, or is there is there a place for churches to say like, I need you to. I need you to hold this place. Like yeah. only you can do this. What would that be? Well, I mean, I think God blesses ministry. I think that he <clears throat> will provide, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there are, it's just practicing humility and being ready to learn, mm-hmm. um, fail and try again better. I see. And um, just making the time to do that. But until you have proximity, you will never gain trust. Until you are engaging people regularly without expectations and mm. with healthy boundaries, I think that, you know, that distrust that folks have from the church will start to dissipate mm. because we're genuine. We're, we're loving one another and give an opportunity to be loved back. Um, yeah. Wow. That's good. Okay. Help me out, Pastor. <laughs> when we, when, when I think think about this, I think about uh, Corinthians. I think about mm. chapter twelve. I think about the body, mm. um, and I think about how uh, all of us, you know, in God's kingdom, we have a place. We have gifts. We have talents. We have opinions, thoughts. We have. We are the arms, the legs, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think there is a place for the church, and I think that the first place of the church is listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think it's to go through this undoing process yes. of really navigating, okay, what does charity mean? What does it not mean? Are there different forms? Like who are we listening to? Who are the least of these? Mm. Are the least of these the ones that are needing the food are the least of these us, the ones that are that are struggling with racism and pride and power dynamics. Let's like go. who's who who mm-hmm. how do we see the least of these? Mm-hmm. Do we see it as a hierarchy or do we see it as just like us being able to live out our discipleship on them? Mm-hmm. And so we're getting points for heaven. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is definitely a place for the church. Definitely a place is like I said, listening. And then it's just those re- those relationships and I don't mean relationships for extraction or relationships for so you can be the next member of the church mm. if they couldn't give you anything would you still want to be in relationship with them and I think that like being able to cultivate this long and uh deep process mm-hmm. of years yeah and not having an expectation of, you know, by this time we're going to, you know, help these this, these many families or by this time we're going to pack these many backpacks. But thinking about the systems, right? right, being able to think from a larger perspective, how are systems and harm interacting with the people that we are building relationships with? And in what place can we walk alongside to provide the support, which I think church is built on love of God, community, mm-hmm. connectedness of people, 
being able to do that well, mm-hmm. um, right. being able to galvanize. Churches galvanize. We think about the civil rights movement and how integral yeah. the church played, you that's, know, in movements. It's been a minute, though, You know what I mean? Like, we need to galvanize, <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know if you saw the last election. We weren't galvanized. <laughs> we weren't uh-uh. galvanized. <laughs> like, what is it like to go back to our roots, mm, you yeah. know, in that way and say we aren't ashamed to talk about justice and we aren't ashamed to talk about things that the day-to-day people are really navigating and struggling mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we have food insecurity, but why is there a food apartheid here in this particular community? Mm-hmm. And, like, what does it look like for us to be able to get in there and think about it from a, a legislative perspective, from a movement perspective? And so I think that there are a lot of ways in which we we do well and we need to do that well, not for the good of church, therefore walls, but for the good yes. of the neighbors around that church because they've been placed in that particular community for a reason, mm-hmm. for God to activate them. Not to activate from a community, oh, we got to activate God here, but for them to be activated. Yeah. And so, yeah. Woo. Yeah, she's preaching. Oh, you can you hold on to that for Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. There, there was this one article. Um, there's a, a group called the Search Institute. They're based out of Minnesota. Mm. And they, they articulate 40 intangible assets of a neighborhood, or at least for youth development, I think. I'm, I forget exactly. But it names the church as one of the 40 intangible assets. Mm. And when Ouch. I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, we don't have to be all 40. Like, cause you know, we, you know, church tries sometimes to be all 40. Like we mm-hmm. try to be Walmart, but really, <laughs> really we're just yeah. one link in a long chain of community health and community flourishing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you have a role to play, but it's probably not as big as you'd hoped it would be. Yeah. And even small churches, right. We can hold our ground by just being, like you said, very simply, just be the church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just be the church. Don't you have to, you have to do too much. You don't have to feed everybody. You don't have to be the legal center. You don't have to be just, I mean, all that's important, but just be the church. church. And what does that mean? Like get to know each other, be connected, pray for one another, lift one another up. Like if you could do that, that would connect all the other, Mm -hmm. or you know, if you can connect with all the other links in the chain and be that for the community, I think that would be really beautiful. Yeah, there it is. Yes. But it's just really hard to do that because we're like, well, I don't want to, you know, and the who, I can't count connections and. You know, what's mm. what's the return on that? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, relationships. I mean, but but I have gone to church with people for 10, 15 years. I didn't really know them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is where I've made a huge mistake. I'm the pastor. I'm a professional. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm a professional and I haven't done this well. Mm. I have had more classes on expository preaching mm. and exegesis of whatever book. Mm-hmm. I have translated the first Samuel 13 in Hebrew Blah, blah, blah. But I have not known my neighbor. Yeah. So what chance do I have of actually loving my neighbor? And so I think that's been Come the real day. challenging thing for me. It's just like, man, if churches could just know their neighbor and love their neighbor. I think it's also just the church acknowledging that there are broken people there. And that, I mean, in that in order to go outward, you first have to look inward. Well, we say this, or we've been saying this a lot more in the last year, right? Mm-hmm. Personal development is yeah. part of community development. So if you haven't worked on yourself, yes, 
please don't go out. Mm-hmm. Like, if you haven't figured out your anger issues, if you haven't named the racism in your life and the biases in your life and your like maybe maybe your complicity to injustice in the world, yeah. yes, hey, just check yourself. You yep. know, like, go home and look in the mirror. Or maybe that's what churches can do, too. It's like, let's look at ourselves because there's something not right with us. Yes. So you're trying to change the world. Mm. I believe it's Rumi who says, you know, when I was young, I used to try to change the world. Yep. Now I'm old. I'm trying to change myself. Yeah. You know? That's so good. Yeah. I think about, you know, how we, we activate each other and one, and one another. And I always am reminded of I don't, I, I don't have everything that I need. Mm. You don't have everything that you need. But together, what does this ecosystem look like? so that we can move and shake and make the things that we need together. And so also the church coming from that perspective of how do we facilitate those connections to be made and knowing that needs are far beyond food, shelter, clothing. Mm -hmm. They're also connectedness and listening And passing down stories and being able to give a hug. Like these are very tangible and intangible things that uh, we need to also facilitate. Yeah. And so in what spaces are our churches doing that? And one of the things, David, I've learned from you and even navigating, you know, space at FCS is just thinking about like just the block party. And how we love, the church love a good block party. (laughs) You know, we love a good cookout, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But they will come and get the hot dog and they will leave leave. with the hot dog and not have no connection whatsoever. So what what is it like to go beyond that um, to be able to to make real connection? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's great. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I know sometimes as staff, we don't always talk about this, but especially to churches. But I think we want to see churches engage more deeply in this work, holistic neighborhood mm-hmm. development. And so thanks for being a part of the church. And thanks for being a part of FCS. Yeah, thanks for thanks having David. us. <laughs> hey, guys, just jumping in real quick to say that we would love to take your church and local partners through our two-year cohort process called City Shapers. The cohorts that are launching this year will be funded partially by Lilly Endowment, so it's a great time to get involved. We have had three communities go through this process so far and would love to bring it to you next. So contact us today to learn more at fcsministries.org. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us what role you served on the church? Yeah, so uh, my name is Joel Barber. Um, and when I was working with uh, churches uh, in the past, I'm only worked with maybe two of them, I believe. Um, I was a part of the 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 volunteer crew that was doing like coffee and you know serving basically in that aspect. Um, and it was a larger church. I don't want to say the name, you know, just in case. Yeah, because I had a coffee background and you know I'm working with FCS and stuff like that. So. Um, when I was there, um, it was a great church um, in as, as far as the aspects of the messages they were putting out. Um, every Sunday, having large numbers, um, catering to those who were there in the church. Um, and those aspects, it was pretty good. But as far as its relation, if we're talking about 
connecting to outside of itself, um, it was a bit lacking. Um, mm. And so a lot of those opportunities for volunteering were based on how can we help ourselves in a way. Mm. So it was, hey, we need you to come help out and do this. We have this event going on for our people here or mm-hmm. there's another event going on for the kids here. And it was, which is all good things, but it's just like it's centered around just the church. The you know church, what I'm saying? Right. They um, were the center of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's good work, but it's, it's, it's always, I find that it's always individualistic as far as how can we build not our brand, but our name and our likeness um, for the people we have here in our church. You know, mm-hmm. it's always this our thing, like mm-hmm. we're separated from others. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think in my time just kind of helping out with different churches, like that's always been the case. You know, it's always mm-hmm. been sort of about image in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's kind of mm, weird in a way to me, I guess, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for lack of uh, better words. But but yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about you? My name is Damian Fayou, and I've served uh, over the last probably like 10 years in and out of the church as a youth pastor. Um, so worked with middle school, high school, college young adults. Um, and yeah, I agree with a lot of what Joel said. I think that, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, massive difference when I'm thinking about FCS and I'm thinking about the church. The, at least the, the experience I have in the church is even at community churches, right? Mm. Where like community is like in the name of the church. The community really means whoever shows up yeah. on Sunday yeah. or whoever, whoever participates in our programs. Yeah. And I, and just even being at FCS for a short amount of time, the, the whole neighborhood is the conversation. Wow. It's, it's everyone that's here and in all, what are all of the ways in which we want to see people flourish? Wow. And that's a very different conversation that leads to a lot of different, whether it is programming or whether it is where we're putting our money or whether it is um, readjusting schedules yeah. to fit certain people that are in the neighborhood that maybe couldn't attend at certain hours or... Um, or haven't been thought about when thinking about programming for the majority. Um, and so when you're thinking about like a neighborhood, it's really interesting that I've served in a church setting, yeah. thinking about community genuinely. And at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider the people that lived right next door to the church, right. part of the community, if, if they didn't come to the church oh. and that, and that's, yeah, that's surprising. So both of you serve in the neighborhood engagement team, right? Yes. Here at FCS. Um, here's an interesting question. Uh, should the church be a part of the community? Like, should they be a part of the community? Should they see themselves as part of a neighborhood? What do you think? I think they should definitely be associated with the community and its surroundings. Um, for one, because if the idea is to open up your doors for God's people in a way, right? That involves, especially those who are closest to you first. Um, And as far as, I guess you want to say, success rate goes, it doesn't make sense for you to have a plethora of people coming through the doors, but then those who are directly connected or who are closest to you aren't there. Mm. You know, it's almost like having a family and 
your father has his house, but then he's not he's he's not close with his actual family. He's close with everybody else in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah, surrounding the area. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, and that's a little weird. That's just like you. They should feel the ramifications of what you're doing because they're closest to you. You mm-hmm. know, in a way, it doesn't only have to be for them, yeah. right? So you can pull in anybody from anywhere, but it makes sense for those who are closest to feel that love and to feel that energy and to feel that acceptance and belonging to something that's really close in proximity to you. You know right. what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, they definitely should be connected to the neighborhood in that way. I don't think you have to cater it directly to, okay, we only doing our people, but it should definitely involve them, you know? Mm. So, mm. Damien, let me ask you this. Do you feel like the church has a unique role or a unique sort of responsibility in a community, mm. in a neighborhood? I think they should. <laughs> yeah. What what would that unique I mean what, what you, yeah, what's unique about that? I I, I think I think when I think about what churches is, it it's the gathering of people. And so oftentimes when we're talking about church, we're talking about a service or we're talking about a building. Right. And so in those senses, I'm like, uh, I don't I'm not sure we can use those things, but like when I'm thinking about the church, I'm thinking about like it, it is the, it is supposed to be the space where everyone can come and find shade in God's kingdom, oh. right? It's it's the place where everyone finds safety, and I just don't know that historically the church has been a place where everyone can find safety. Mm. I think it's a place where some people can find safety, and I think that's a difficult that's a difficult picture when like. Jesus is painting this picture of a tree for anyone to come and sit under. Right. And so when I think about the unique contribution of the church, it can be that place. It could be the place uh-huh. and the group of people that when you gather with them, like when you are in proximity with these people, you feel the safety of God. Wow. You feel the peace of God. And that would be my hope for a neighborhood to be able to have that connection with a group of people that are for them that aren't always operating as the host. I think of this picture of Mm. like Jesus sending out the 72 to be hosted. Mm. And I think there's the church oftentimes acts as the host for most things. Always. yeah, yeah. And, and I think if we could position ourselves as the people that could come alongside anyone, wherever we are, if we would allow ourselves to be hosted and in that hosting, relationship be built, peace be found, safety be found. Mm. Um, I could see that being a beautiful contribution. Mm. Yeah, it's also interesting. Like, we find that when you're giving, you, you're going to give off a message whether you're trying to or not, right? Yeah. And so we were just talking, I was just talking about this with somebody uh, next door um, about a school. It was about school, but it was basically in the same conversation. It's where, it's almost like it's intentional almost. You know, if you are catering to people who are farther away from you than people who are closest to you, it almost seems like it's intentional. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, there's mm-hmm. something here that uh, we don't really want to be bothered with this specific <laughs> specific type of person or environment or whatever, and we're going to skip over that and go mm-hmm. to the outskirts of things. And that's that that doesn't sit well with a lot of people because it's like, hey, and nine times out of ten, those are the people that actually need the church mm-hmm. or need the help or need the love. And it's like you're choosing to skip over the people who are closest to you to serve, 
like I said, maybe it's an image, maybe it's for money, maybe it's for whatever, and it just gives off the wrong message. You know what I mean? Even yeah. when you're not trying to say that, that's what's coming off, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. now, now that you guys are both, you know, I don't know if you're currently serving in churches now, but like in your current role where you're trying to get all the neighborhood involved, what are some things that you do differently to make sure whether they come to your event or not, or they're part of the program, or how do you make them feel welcome? How do you how do you make them feel like they're part of this thing? Uh, number one, you got to do your do your homework basically almost. So you gotta one be engaging. So you have to talk to people. You have to engage with people. You have to find out what the issues are if there are issues. You have to find out what they like if they like certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would make them come to this church? You know, if they wouldn't were to attend the church. What's not making them come to the church if they don't don't attend the church? You know, yeah. Uh, Building basic building blocks with people, mm-hmm. right? And it's being intentional about it. So it's, hey, I have three families around me who I notice don't ever come to church, right? And we're here every week and we're trying to, you know, bring people in. It's, all right, well, let me stop over after service and not going to just introduce myself. Introducing yourself can do a whole lot. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Uh, letting them see your face every now and then. Uh, trying to build some sort of relationship and then you start from there mm-hmm. and then you can kind of like build up a little bit. Um, I feel like engagement with people mm-hmm. will give you a lot of answers to where you can start and how you can kind of like bridge that gap between people. So can I, I'm going to ask a real dumb question because sometimes I feel like uh, with engagement stuff, I feel like some people, maybe they feel like they need a little pretense, some some reason why we're going to engage, right? And so yeah, sometimes like, yeah. oh, I'm going to give you a flyer to my church event. And I think of that as engagement and I'm not trying to, but like what you're saying is like, now there's actually engagement before that engagement. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You got to exactly. find out who they are, what they like, what they do. So mm-hmm. how would you encourage somebody to take baby steps and be like, hey, don't just hand out flyers for your thing. Mm-hmm. How do you actually get on the ground and mm-hmm. do the pre-engagement work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like I said, it's it's you would have to do the basics of building a regular relationship. Mm-hmm. So the same way we we behave when we see a new coworker. The same way we behave when we see a new teacher, a new friend. It's, hey, how you doing? Hey, my name is Joel. Hey, my name is David. My name is Damien. Like, it's introducing yourself. It's it's taking those basic things that you can do with building a relationship mm-hmm. and apply it the same way. Wow. So okay. it's... It's that simple. That simple. <laughs> you know, it's that That's simple. That's why I don't do it. I don't do simple things. I only do, I only do hard things, y'all. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that simple because when people see a paper, mm-hmm. they think, oh, okay, this is just another ploy for me to come to their programming or to come to, you know, whatever they're doing. And I may not even have an interest in that right yeah, now. Yeah, you don't yeah. even know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, I'm not well, I'm not coming to this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't even know your name. Like, you're handing me a paper and saying, hey, come to my church. I don't even know your name. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know, like, you know what I'm saying? So it's I feel like it's just, it's so simple, wow. you know? Um, but, yeah. Damien, do you have any other tips? Or what would you get? What's the part of the basics? Because I feel like y'all do this so naturally, like... You forgot how to swim. Yeah, it's hard to teach people how to swim. <laughs> yeah. we all, I've been yeah. swimming for years. I'm Michael yeah. Phelps over here. Well, I mean, I think one thing is that as first assuming that you're not the only one trying to do anything. Yeah. And and so like when you're entering a space, a neighborhood, I think it's I think you can operate with that assumption. We're like, well, I'm trying to do this program and I'm trying to start this thing. Well, let me figure out who I can get for it. And you and you're you're doing a there's a lot of work to do there. I'd say before any of that. Go partner. Go mm-hmm. show up to something else that somebody else is putting on. Mm-hmm. Go help, like, serve the food and prepare the space and stay a little, stay an extra 20 minutes so you can help clean up. Like, mm-hmm. 
go and participate in what's already happening. And so that by the when by the time you're saying, hey, actually we're doing this really cool thing, it's not a, I don't know who you are. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. why are you even like it's more of a, oh yeah, I saw you at the thing over here. I didn't know that you were into this work. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I I do that. I would love, actually, I know somebody too that probably would love to come to this. Yeah. And that's a whole different conversation. And uh-huh. so I think like just showing up when you're when you're thinking about reaching neighbors or or reaching a neighborhood, thinking about like who's who's doing things there already and, and can you show up to those things wow. um, just just be present okay so I'm gonna ask another stupid question <laughs> okay if I do that kind of stuff just hang out stick around 20 minutes longer go to their go to somebody else's thing about how many months to, should I be, be sort of in like listening sort of on the bench mode oh man um, how many months yes <laughs> so time, timing can be hard uh, yeah you know I for me, I, I kind of gauge it off of case by case basis. Um, I can't treat everything the same way, mm. you know. So if I notice, hey, somebody is, or there's a group of people who may need more time to get acclimated to either me or our church or whatever, I got to give it more time. Mm. So uh, especially people who've, de- who've dealt with trauma or dealt with you know whatever they may be dealing with, mm-hmm. church hurt specifically, right? So church hurt that pushes a lot of people away, yeah. and I've heard that. A lot, especially over this last like year, a lot of people are being hurt by the church. And so with people like that, you have to take your time when you are engaging with them. Like you can't say, oh, hey, you know, I, I hung out with you once the other day. You want to come mm-hmm. to my church? And, you know, if they if you know, hey, they've been hurt by the church. Right. You have to take your time. Um, there is no set time frame. Um, so I would say, yeah, just gauge it based off of who that person is or who those people are mm-hmm. um, and try your best to kind of just. Yeah, be on the bench, put yourself aside for a moment, uh, get to learn again them, uh, what they, why they were hurt by the church, if they were mm-hmm. hurt by the church, you know what I'm saying? They, n- get to learn their whys that they have, um, because I think feel like once you learn people's whys, man, they they will connect with you in ways that you never even thought. Mm-hmm. So once you know, you understand. Oh wow, you had a preacher who was abusing the word, and he, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, that's why you ran or something crazy happened to you in the church, and you just wasn't feeling it. Um, and then that stuff takes time to heal. And so you have to come into it uh, very, very humble, you know, and very, very careful because those people are hurt. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So yeah. Yeah. I would say it's definitely case by case basis, but I would definitely take my time with that. Wow. Well, that, that that's hard for churches to hear, too, you know, because yeah. they're like, yeah. I, got, I yeah. got staff to pay. I got things to run. Right. Yeah. How, do I, how long do I be before I, you know, yeah. is it a year, yeah. two years? Yeah, I, th- I think even looking for an invitation. Come on, like wait, waiting, waiting for the moment in which a neighbor says, "Hey, can you help me with this?" Oh, hey, uh, do you want to come to this thing I'm hosting? Like w- that invitation will come with relationship, and so yeah, I, I, I think when I'm in those spaces, I'm looking for those things. I'm looking for the the my specialty is working with kids, and so it's like when when a student turns and is like. Hey, can I talk to you about something? That's the invitation, mm-hmm. right? That's and nice. I think mm-hmm. we can have all of the good things to say and solutions to their problems, and we can try to tell them those things as soon as they, you know, or we can assume a lot, or we can wait, and we, mm-hmm. and we can wait for the invitation to, to step a bit closer. And I think when you, when you answer an invitation, I think that means so much more than mm-hmm. assuming one. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well yeah. said. Absolutely. Well said.
So given all that you know about churches, serving at churches, and now you've been uh, working with the FCS Neighborhood Engagement Team, uh, would you ever work for a church again? Um, I mean, yeah, depending on how, you know, how it was structured, I guess, or uh, just seeing their vision for things and how they yeah. do things. Uh, it would have to be in a way that's resembling already the work that we're doing here with FCS, you know, in a way where it, it is engagement work. Mm-hmm. It is people-based. It is, like, catering to what people who are close in proximity to us, what they say they need. Mm-hmm. So um, if a church were tackling those things, then, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind, you know, working, working with a church again. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult because it's hard because we get there is a lot of business into churches as well. And so there are some things that have to go into it that may not look pretty or feel great to some people, especially to us who are doing this work, but there's just a way to go about it. You know, Mm -hmm. it starts with the core of who you are. So if your goal is, starts off with, hey, we got to hit numbers, we got to get this amount of money to pay for Mm -hmm. this building, we got, that's what's driving you. Yeah, that that agenda comes Yeah, yeah, and so instead, if you start off by saying, man, we got to reach these people, we got to, how are we going to fix and help out where we can, be involved where we can, um, then that that drive is different. That's mm-hmm. a different posture. You know what I'm saying? And so out of that drive, can the answers can be fulfilled when it comes to money, can be fulfilled when it comes to uh, programming and all that stuff. But your drive just has to be different. So yeah. if I can see the drive is, yeah, okay, they're people-based. They actually care about bringing people to Jesus or bringing people to God or whatever in a way that centered around the person, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I can get on board with that. All right. What about you, Damien? Would you ever work for a church again? I mean, the way Joel talking, he, I, I let right. him be I my pastor. His church. I, got, I, I, let, I let him church be my know. pastor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think similarly. I think with the experience I have, I would want my my I would want it to be different than what I've already experienced. I see. Um, yeah. But is hope all lost? I wouldn't say that either. Yeah. yeah. Have you found it? Uh, this is a sort of a uh, obviously we're not off off the off mic, but. Have you uh, found it hard to go back to church just because of what you know now and how you want to see church done? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when it comes to, like, there are churches who, I don't know, even in Atlanta itself, who are have a big name for themselves and who have big names come to their churches and have, like, great worship teams and all this stuff that seem great. Um, but it's always, like, a sort of, you know, I'm kind of skeptical in certain, certain aspects of it because yeah. where it's like, I may go visit, you know, hang right. out a little bit, um, but to actually get involved, I've just heard a lot of different stories about different things. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, it makes you pause for a second. Um, so it is kind of difficult to jump back in um, to some of those churches. Um, so yeah, I definitely feel that. A no, lot. I appreciate that. But, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's real. Mm-hmm. That's real. Mm-hmm. What about you, Damien? Do you feel, you feel like you could go back, or has it been harder to go back to church? Uh, yeah, I think it has been. I think, but I, but I think the. Biggest challenge for me is like when I think about Sunday mornings, I'm I'm thinking like if I want to if I'm going to gather with people, I want to gather people and have a conversation. Yeah, and I'm not really interested in like showing up to a space and like being in the same room as like a few hundred people and then leaving. Yeah, like I'm like oh well if that's all we're doing then I can I can listen in from home. Yeah, Ooh, right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but if but if it's something that like what would get me back into church would be a space that would cultivate relationships, mm. and Sunday mornings in most spaces don't doesn't do that, yeah. and yeah. that's a that's a a pass for me right at the moment. Yeah, I hear. Mm-hmm. Especially when when this is what you do Monday through Friday, like yeah. engagement and think mm-hmm. about community. 
I do find it, it changes the way I think about church. I'm like, man, yeah. I feel like church needs to be influenced by this mm-hmm. rather than thinking they can influence the way I live my Monday. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Oh, so. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate y'all. Thank you for this interview. Yeah, man. Definitely. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. So thank you. thank you. I pray churches will hear this. Absolutely. Yeah, man. If you could, let's start off the conversation by telling us what role you served at the church. You don't have to name the church, but what role you served at the church. And tell us your name. Pamela Stringfield. Um, I've served in several churches on the staff. And I've been um, anything from the women's director uh, to benevolence care um, and community outreach. Mm-hmm. And youth. Oh, wow. <laughs> you wear a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michelle Witherspoon, and I have served as uh, primarily women's ministry director and what we called compassion ministry. What did compassion ministry entail? So that included uh, anyone who, you know, lived on the street or was uh you know, sort of without home uh, and or anyone who had major, maybe people who really were on the outside of the status quo. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, and just just for um, reference, so we know we're like not fly fly by the seat of our pants or like this was just a hobby. How many years were you on staff, Mm -hmm. respectively? Oh my goodness. Um, I probably have, I mean, I probably have like 20 years in the game. Wow. I've been in this work. I did not want to go into nonprofit or church ministry. If you would have told me that I was, or if I did have friends say, hey, um, you're going to do women's ministry. (laughs) And I guffawed at that um, because that was not something I'd wanted to do. And I definitely did not want to do nonprofit stuff because I wanted to make money. Uh, well, did uh, you know the FCS is a nonprofit? Mm. Mm. I'm aware. Okay. Um, so it just feels like a, a calling or a, a space that kept calling me and wooing me and mm. drawing me in. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I was trying to get out of it, but it just was a place I just kept mm-hmm. being invited into. And when I was there, it just made sense to be there. Okay. Uh, and so it, it's a place I've just stayed. I found the most fruit in the space that I've not historically wanted to be in. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Reluctant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say 20 years uh, prior to coming to FCS, um, it started in college ministry and then went to like more 20-somethings, 20-30-somethings. And yeah, I was supposed to be a teacher. So So I got 40 years at the game just on this side of the table. so let me let me start by asking a really fundamental question, which is, do should the church be in the neighborhood? Because I mean I know we we can talk about blaming them or you know uh, scapegoating them or like, but should they be in the neighborhood? Should they consider themselves and do they have a place in the neighborhood? Mm. Um, I would absolutely say that they have a space in the neighborhood. Uh, their voice, their posture is very important. Um, I say that from the bias of just the way I've grown up. I mean, I, y'all have heard me on the podcast um, of just my experience with the church. I came to know the church as a people versus just a place or an activity that you go to on a particular day of the week. 
Uh, so I met them as as friend, as neighbor, as smiling people with a literal cold cup of water. Uh, people who said, hey, let's introduce you to some new things or let me come sit on your porch for a while and just hang out. So I know the church is real tangible relationships. And so that made all the difference in my life and in my family's lives. So I, without a doubt, believe that the church is important to be in neighborhood as neighbor and not just something that you go to one day a week. Mm. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. It doesn't make sense at all in my mind that the church wouldn't be in the neighborhood. Um, it is the family of God. So, but uh, I think a lot of churches maybe have, they struggle to be in the neighborhood or maybe there's like a disconnect mm-hmm. there. Can, I mean, just for giggles, let's name that disconnect. What, what, why is it that churches maybe either don't see themselves as limited to a neighborhood. Maybe that's how that's one way they like, oh, we're bigger. We're for the city. We're for the, we're for the whole country. We're going to change the world. Or maybe they're just like, oh, I didn't even, I mean, they're here. Why aren't they coming? You know, they might think that way too. So what, what are some tensions that you've noticed where the church maybe isn't aware of or connecting to the neighborhood? So, you know, living here in South Atlanta, um, I, you know, I get the privilege of being a neighbor right here where I'm serving. And so the pulse that I have of our neighborhood, the needs of our neighborhood, the strengths, the weaknesses, the um, the people of this place, uh, what they might need to hear in their lives, how God might be showing up in their lives, you know, those types of things um, I'm proximate enough to know. The interesting part about Sunday mornings here is that there are just a lot of people who are uh, strangers to South Atlanta, Mm -hmm. but not strangers to their wall cement Mm -hmm. church in Mm -hmm. that community of people. So the disconnect is that there's not that same pulse um, on the relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so sometimes when a church might be voting over a parking lot, they might be really inclined to think the need is so great for this particular parking lot for their community. Um, but that community is not the same community as the South Atlanta community. And so therefore, how would a parking lot impact our neighborhood and our neighbors? Um, so I think those are, that's an out of the gate thing I see a lot. Um, or a church that everyone is wondering, is this church open? Mm-hmm. Oh, and wow. then on Sunday you see like, whoa, where did all these people come from? But then through the week it's, it's absolutely mm-hmm. quiet and the doors are locked and there's no activity. And so times when I struggle to find the right space for things that we're doing with youth here, neighbor, I think to myself like, wow, we have these resources right here mm-hmm. that are often locked um, mm-hmm. and not very connected mm-hmm. to the to actual people of South Atlanta. Yeah, I was going to say a similar thing, too. I grew up in an era, which I was just thinking about this morning, um, where 
if I was sitting with like my friends or, you know, some older folks, we would talk about how y'all remember when the church was always open, like you would have Sunday morning service. You'd be there all day. Mm-hmm. But then Monday, Tuesday, there's something going on. There's choir rehearsal on Wednesday. There was always Bible study and, you know, you're going to do something. And then the women always had something Thursday or Friday and there was something for the youth either fr- or Wednesday or Friday. And then maybe there was something for outreach on Saturday and then Sunday you was back where you started. Or you right. have like rehearsal for choir or drums or something, bells at Christmas. There was the church doors were always open. And to Michelle's point, you drive around most neighborhoods, this one, others, and I don't see anybody other than like on a Sunday. Sometimes, uh, at least in our neighborhood, the churches, some of them, they rotate. So sometimes they'll have church at that building every other Sunday or every other month and they rotate. And so you don't often see the people of God. It's just a place. It's just a building that's holding real estate or holding an address, but you don't actually meet people. So if I'm getting off the bus on Sunday or on Monday, um, I would see uh, Miss So-and-so standing outside sweeping the sidewalk and she'd be like, baby, how you doing? Well, your mom ain't seen y'all in a month of Sundays. Mm. Uh, they, there would be people there trying to engage or available to engage. The doors were open. The lights were on. Uh, there was some activity going on. And, and at least in my neighborhood, the doors were literally open, like always literally open. Mm. And so you would hear something going on and be curious. And that's how my brother and I wandered into the church because it was open Monday Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm. and not just when they had a particular program that fitted their particular congregation. Uh, and so I think it's important. I, I miss that. I feel like there was something to be captured in the fact that the neighbor, the church was proximate and open, available, accessible mm. to people Monday through Friday. So we're, we're seeing, I guess, both of you are naming this sort of difference between the congregation and the neighborhood. And the church usually prior to prioritizes the congregation. Um, uh, what I guess is there a unique role that the church can play? I, I think I mean we're kind of saying that the church has a place in the neighborhood. They should be of the neighborhood, but they're not often. Uh, I guess what could they do differently? I guess to sort of blend congregation neighborhood. Do you have any ideas on what what they could do better to blend congregation and neighborhood? Yeah, I mean, when I worked at a church years ago, uh, one of the things that stuck out to me was I said, you know, we live in a particular place where there are a lot of people who live on the street and we we do not have any of those neighbors in our church. And so if we are in this particular corner or block and these are our neighbors— why doesn't our church reflect the neighborhood? Mm. So then that started as like tease out, well, the barriers that are there, right? So we have, well, we don't know what to do with people on the street who maybe have mental illness or, okay. So then like just really learning to push into those ways that we've been divided off and say, well, I think really what would be appropriate here is for our church to reflect our neighborhood more than it does. And so whatever that means, you know, going out and meeting those neighbors, becoming friends with those neighbors, to me is essential. Um, And however you begin that relationship is... um, Probably uh, you could have lots and lots of conversations about how even to begin those relationships. But 
that feels crucial to be proximate to your neighbor and to know them relationally. Mm. If you were to give like, I like how you said, so if, if we start with that premise, be proximate and know your neighbors, just, I mean, let's just say I'm, I'm, I'm dumb at this. Like I'm good at a lot of the things, but maybe I'm not that smart at this. What are like steps one through five? Like what are the first five things you would tell me to do as a church to say, I know you might have, I know you say you love your neighbor, but maybe you don't know how to get to know your neighbor. Here's steps one through five. Well, what's interesting is that, uh, I, I would encourage you to literally go knock on your neighbor's door and introduce yourself um, and invite them to your home. And if your church is sort of the building space that makes you a neighbor, well, then invite them to church just out of the gate. We'd love to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you ought to know their name and you ought to begin to make regular visits on the porch or in the yard or and then you would want to know, like, what happens in this neighborhood and where are the places that people hang out? And maybe that's the corner um, and maybe that's the uh, coffee shop and maybe that's, you know, the neighborhood meeting that happens once a month. But whatever it is, you would want to go to those places because that's where you're going to meet those neighbors. Mm. Yeah, I um, I remember a couple of years ago, um, we we're building a property in South Atlanta and there's a church right next to that property. And we had been trying to reach out to that pastor for a long time and had never heard from the church. And one day we get a call. Uh, the president gets a call and they're like, and he says, hey, Pam, will you come with me to this conversation? So I go with him to the conversation, not knowing what we're going to get or actually expecting to get like, y'all have not. Da, da, da. I can't believe you have this property here. And so we're expecting them to really go hard on us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, we get there, the conversation opens up and it ends up being this most incredible conversation partway into the conversation or just out the gate. The pastor says, hey, this is why I brought you here. Y'all built this space. What are y'all doing? Uh, We want to know what your intentions are in this space. And so we had a conversation about our intentions, like this is what we're hoping to do. We're not trying to do anything to neighbors. We want to make a space for everybody to be present. We want to work in concert with the neighborhood that's existing here, along with the other entities that's surrounding the community. That includes you. We've been trying to reach out for a while. Uh, And so they heard us out. And then they had a, I asked like, what are their visions for the neighborhood or just for their church? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's your hope and dreams? And I don't remember exactly what uh, was said, but it was something along the lines of, um, we, we want to see this neighborhood uh, do well or, you know, be healthy and we want to make an impact on the neighborhood. Um, and something in me, I'm not really a super confrontational person, but something in me will just ask a question. So how is that going to show up in your calendar? Ooh. Um, and it just felt like it was a door to press into of like, that's adorable. I love the vision. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Like I want you to have impact too. Like I, I don't know you, but I want you to have great impact. Uh, definitely for the gospel. I want to see lives, you know, changed and people meet the Lord but tell me, how is that going to show up? Like, what are you going to do to chase after that? What are you going to do to hold yourself accountable to that? Yeah. How are you going to say at the end of the year, check, we made impact, like break that down for me. Uh, and so she said some other kind of words and, and my challenge to her in that moment of like, we need to work together. The impact that you are having, I said, if your vision is worth its salt, you cannot accomplish that on your own. Oof. You're going to have to partner with entities like me 
with neighbors, with this other uh, entity that's coming up out of the ground right now, with as, as to what, what Michelle was saying, there's other things and places where you need to be proximate and spend time lingering in. And if you're not doing that, the impact that you're seeking to have, you're not going to get there. Mm. Um, it is a partnership, not just a warm idea. Uh, and so in that moment, like it felt like an, uh, but that pastor and I have stayed friends um, because she said, I hear what you're saying and I want to lean into what you're saying. I want to be willing to take my money and take my time and take my business and take my congregation and sew it into the fabric of this community in a way that really makes sense. I want to ask some better questions. So help me ask questions. Um, and we kept inviting her into spaces. So mm. we have a, a prayer time called Proximate Prayer that we do every Thursday. She comes to that religiously. The, the church, they show up to that. They invite us into things. Whenever there's an opportunity, we co-invite each other into things. Mm. Um, she and I are working to create spaces where other pastors can get together and have conversations about what is your big vision? Mm -hmm. What is the impact that you want to have? And how can we challenge that in such a way that we accomplish something as a group? One thing I would definitely say in all of what I'm trying to say is the importance of the church is moving from being siloed. Yeah. I'm saying, well, I, this is my church and my congregation and my budget and my da da da, my youth group. That's great. But what if we could, what if we could work together? Yeah, Because we've heard different partners say we can go further faster if we work together. And if I don't care if my name is at the top of the marquee um, or I get all the credit for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm kind of zealous right now. Of like, what if we, if the church, if the body could have a conversation about what's happening in this neighborhood in particular? But if what if churches proximate to each other could say, you know what, I will put my thing down so that we can have a conversation that might elevate all of us so that we can actually be at the table that's necessary for us to be at. Because mm. we have, we've gotten away from the table and we need to slide our behinds back to the table. That's interesting that you say that. I, I met with uh, somebody from the Community Foundations of Atlanta and she was saying that um, back in the 70s, it would be very common to have pastors on the board. Absolutely. Uh, but like since then, she's like, we don't have mm -mm. churches at the table, mm -mm. literally. Uh, at the at those sort of board, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And and in many ways, I think churches have sort of vacated, abdicated space where mm -hmm. they should maybe could be. Mm -hmm. um, given that this is, you know, this is a neighborhood engagement team. Ha has it been hard for you to get churches involved or like you're telling this story of like, hey, we had to work at it, but mm -hmm. we're getting there. Uh, is it harder for churches to be involved in neighborhood work, do you find? And what kinds of things do you have to be like? Come on, I, I got to mm -hmm. bring you kicking and screaming. Is it more like that? Um, I don't know if it's a kick and scream. Is um, well, I want to be. I'll I'll be charitable. Um, if it's an event, um, so like we have Pride for Parents coming up right now. I don't know when this podcast will go live, but um, we have a big event, and some churches will opt in. Like that's fun. I like presents. I like helping. I like gift wrapping. Um, but again, the point I was making earlier that Monday through Friday, just living every day, that's the harder part mm -hmm. of just asking, okay, guys, how do you show up on Monday? Mm -hmm. What does it look like for you to be available, to be accessible, to have your doors open, either realistically or proverbial doors open? What will that look like for you? We talk about impact. What, was, what would that look like for you? And if it's not you particularly, is there another person in this cohort or in this sphere of influence that could actually have their doors open, so to speak. So I think it's the the dreaming together, one. Two, it's a dreaming together of like, how do we accomplish being present? 
uh, in order to say for the neighborhood to feel like, oh, they're here. Because right now I wouldn't even feel like the church is here. It doesn't feel like it's here. Wow. It's here for an event. And then you leave. And then you can drive all up and down these streets and I believe that they're smart. I believe that they <laughs> they are really, really sharp people out there. Um, they mean well. Mm. Um, they're human, so they're not, you know, above, like, hurting people. You know, nobody's, like, holier than thou, but they're not here. Mm. Uh, and so you you miss out on those conversations. You miss out on those um, opportunities to just look and dream and be because you're not available. You're not accessible Monday through Friday. Yeah. Uh, and so that is the hard part of just the availability of churches because they're busy. Some of them have multiple jobs and all that. And so it just looks like the church is dormant. The picture that's colored here in this neighborhood is the church is an event that you go to. And if you miss us, you know, nine through 11, mm-hmm. then you missed us. Wow. And if we have an event later on, then join us for that event. But otherwise, it's hard to get to know or hard to get to experience us um, beyond that event on Sunday. And that's tricky because, I mean, you can drive down the streets of even South Atlanta and, and probably see four or five church buildings. Period. But you're saying you can have half a dozen and still not mm-hmm. feel like they're present. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, it it can be simply hard to even get someone on the phone. That part. Wow. Let alone any information about what's happening in this building, you know, and I think mm. most people would... Uh, have a mindset that the church, the churches are buildings mm-hmm. that I don't even know what's in there. I don't know about that building. You know, and that's such a wow. strong point. Like I, I don't want to miss it. I want to ride that hard of what Michelle, Michelle just said so beautifully is like people who don't know the church, who don't know even the Lord or whatever, they will think and they'll deduce that God or the people of God is a building. Yeah. And the people of God is supposed to be what I grew up with. Um, they're supposed to be out there yeah. having influence. You don't have to be like, I'm the pastor, I'm the worship leader. You have the spirit of God living in you. Go out and share that light with other people. Be accessible. Yeah, it's interesting because I read I read a book called Jim and Casper Go to Church. And it was about the story of this atheist and this uh, pastor. And they went around the United States and they um, visited churches and talked and um, the pastor asked the atheist, give me your real honest encounter in these churches. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of the book, the atheist said with all sincerity, is this why Jesus died for the Sunday thing? Mm. And, uh, and that was a turning point for me is that I thought, right. How would you not gather that? Mm-hmm. How would you not draw that conclusion mm-hmm. that this this money that we invest in this service on Sunday is the bulk of why Jesus must have died? Mm. That's what he thought. So, yeah, that that rock, that really rocked me and set me on a on a path to ask questions about the church and what we ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, has this messed with your idea of church and has it made it harder for you to think of Sunday morning as like really constructive or, you know, conducive to neighbor neighboring? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've seen Sundays as important, um, but I think you and I were talking earlier that it's 
right now it gets deduced to an event. It's something that you go to, you check a Christian box. Yay, I did that thing. And, and you move on versus it's almost like a pep rally in my brain of like, mm-hmm. let's celebrate what God has done, what he's doing. Let's make sure that we are steeped in this good news and in this light. So as we are going, as we're living life, as I'm uh, as a mom, uh, as I'm a uh, a business owner or a business leader, if whatever your call is, whatever is put into you to do, mm-hmm. that you would do that with fidelity, uh, radically, beautifully, faithfully, and you are taking that good news out to share with people so that people know that the people of God and God is real and alive, and a, it's not just a building. Mm-hmm. It's a people. Uh, so we know the church of God isn't just something that you build a four walls around, but it's a people that's going, a people that's mm-hmm. alive. It's a dynamic work. Uh, and so, yeah, I, that's what's my takeaway is like, I want to live a life that's we, uh, my old church would say it's a life that's flipped inside so, out. Yeah. Uh, and so that we're living life outwards and that I was drawn to FCS because of that ethos of like, we want to live lives that are flipped out and that we are constantly looking for ways to make inroads into people's lives and also creating inroads from them to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trying to be low hanging fruit of like, if you encounter Michelle, you hang around this woman long enough, you're going to experience a little bit of Jesus. There's going to be some conversations mm-hmm. about God you're going to have. You hang out with me, but we're in the community as low hanging fruit so that you experience the things of God from a relationship and not just a building or an event. Right. And I think in terms of like most things come easily if I think in terms of family and mm-hmm. I would think, um, you know, if someone was to take my family and say like, well, is their house the most important thing, you know, or is mm-hmm. there, um, do they even know the people uh, around them? Uh, you know, like I think the family of God needs to consider is this building a way that we can build community or is this actually getting in the way mm. of community, right? Is this another way we divide mm-hmm. or how do we use everything we do to build community? Mm-hmm. So that means our building, our physical space, our food, our resources, uh, the people mm-hmm. like we have to, I mean, we do this with youth group, like, if what we're doing doesn't build community, we need to stop doing it. Mm. So if there's anything we're doing as a church that divides and excludes and doesn't know this place and this neighborhood and these neighbors, then we, we need to stop doing it. Mm. I've literally thought sometimes, what if we burn them all down? <laughs> what if we burn them down? And what would we do instead? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of strange and radical, but I do think about that. Right. Well, I think, I think, especially with the pandemic and stuff, I think a lot of churches are at least have hopefully paused and said, is this a moment of transformation for us? Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of churches, mm-hmm. hopefully maybe some haven't, and maybe some are back to the thing that they used to do before pandemic. But I, I've noticed a lot of people are like, man, I don't need it. I don't need to go on a Sunday. If they're going to, mm-hmm. if it's the same experience, yeah, if I get the same amount of relationship as I do just by watching mm-hmm. on YouTube or whatever, then I don't need to go. And and uh, when I went to a, a conference recently where um, a, a guy was saying, like, I just think people are lazy. They're not coming back. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was like, maybe you haven't given them anything to come back for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And um, but I, I've been wondering, like, I, I bet a few churches are wondering, what value do we add, and how do we lean into that more? And what I hear you saying is, neighborings should be at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder, you know, as a you know part of the Lupton Centers, we're we're trying to help people get there. So what is it that they don't know? But I can't change their will. But I can at least try to help them with what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you found like, oh, if when they found out this or when they knew this, they actually responded better or this helped them engage better? Do you guys have any tips or tricks? Um, well, the thing that I'm I'm doing right now, I don't know if it's having all the benefit that I want it to have, but um, it's easy for me. This is me. I'm not saying this, y'all, but this is easy for me. Just like I would critique the church from being people who kind of point fingers and go, those people over there. Yeah. I can sit on this side and be on a bit of a high horse too and point my finger and say, well, the church needs to blah, blah. And I'm not wrong. Right. Um, but what I've also found is the importance of saying, okay, let me extend an olive branch. Let me create a pathway to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I found when the Lord orchestrated that conversation with me and the pastor or FCS and the pastor, um, it opened up this bridge between us. So we can now have some conversations. We've been in a relationship for a year, an intimate one. Mm. So she can call me, literally call me and call me out on some stuff. um, And I can do the same. Mm. Um, We've invited her to say, hey, there's a financial need here in the community. Would you and your congregation consider doing that, like mm-hmm. taking care of that. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, we'll take that. And they prayerfully considered and they said yes to that opportunity. Uh, and so I'm what I'm what I'm saying here is that the importance of that relationship. So as FCS, definitely as the director of neighborhood engagement, I I'm aiming to build those relationships of saying, we don't see you on Sunday. I don't see you on a Sunday, but I'm gonna keep calling. I'm going to keep leaving voice messages. And the idea is when I want to get to know you and I want to invite you into something like I did with the pastor, I want to create a space. Let's have some conversation. And is there a bigger vision that all of us can rally behind that would actually pour into creating spaces for the community to thrive versus me worried about my sticks and bricks on Sunday. Mm. So I'm not going to say that's not important, but there may be a greater importance. And what if somebody invited them into something, believing the best about you, allowing you to be fully human as a pastor or, you know, lay whatever. Um, We know hurt people hurt people. And we just want to say, come on in, let's Mm. have a conversation and let's go up. Let's say, what if, what if we put our collective impact desire together what could we accomplish if we looked at that big idea and then broke it down, delegated out and said, what will it look like for me Monday through Friday to have my doors open, to be available and accessible to this community, this particular community, and not just the commuters who come there, do their thing and peace out. Yeah, I think to uh, taking relationships with the, OK, listen, there are some church folks here in South Atlanta who are are just absolute gold and taking those relationships and saying, you know, your church better than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you, they have relationship, more relationship with you than I do. Help us mm-hmm. come together, right? Be the bridge here. Um, go to your, you know, clergy and, um, and really keep asking for an engagement, this the you know the needs of this neighborhood because you live here. Keep tapping your leadership to stay focused on mm. um, not just the congregants' needs, but the the neighbors' needs as well. I think that goes um, 
that goes pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the real tension here is that I think a lot of pastors and churches, either through, uh, you know, I kind of think it's a sort of a, a numbers game. Like there's so many churches that each one of them is fighting for their own survival and mm-hmm. having overhead that they're trying to support and with all good intentions and good purpose and good callings. We kind of have too many to be effective, If there's too many cooks in the kitchen sometimes. But I also think that we might be focusing on the wrong things, mm-hmm. and we might need to figure out how do churches – maybe there's some decisions that need to be made, right? Because I think the one reason – like, you know, everybody uh, sort of gives mega churches grief, but mega churches do some things really well, and they do them at scale. Uh, but they also aren't really good at what we're talking about here is like engaging, knowing neighbors mm-hmm. at this very, and willing to sort of activate at this level in these kinds of neighborhoods. And I think that's a real challenge. And um, I don't know. I don't know if they. I, I don't know if it's a skill set or a will or maybe the economics don't work out. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what you're there's there's a real. I don't know. There's a real void emotionally, relationally, and community-wise when they don't, Mm -hmm. when churches don't. Mm -hmm. And that's a real tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'd say this out loud for my own sake that we, I need to still take risks. I need to um, still check my, you know, baggage at the door and say, we cannot give up on each other Mm -hmm. and we cannot give up um, trying to bridge these places where divides have happened. We, mm-hmm. we are obligated. Mm-hmm. Jesus is asking us to not give up. The um, whole 70 times seven thing wasn't just a rhetorical. <laughs> well, Probably I, not. I will say this, like uh, I've been pastoring for 12 years mm-hmm. plus. Um, and I will say since coming to work at FCS, I, I apologize more. Like I will mm. say, I'm really sorry because as a as a pastor of a small church, granted it's a small church, but there's just so many things where I've realized we've done poorly, mm-hmm. and or we've only done once and we couldn't support. You know, like mm-hmm. I was sharing the other day, I was like, I think we've only helped a hand, like really helped, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. not just like set great expectations, but like we've really actually helped maybe a handful of people in those twelve years. Oh. And I say that with like, ah. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to change that. There's lots of times where I'm like, I'm just trying to get things ready and organize staff and do mm-hmm. stuff. On, but that has nothing to do with the neighborhood at large. Mm-hmm. And I can blame lots of things like, oh, well, I don't, you know, it's a generational thing, you know, pandemic and then, you know, language and econ- socioeconomics and class and then communication style. And I'm, I'm not white. So maybe people, I don't know. I don't know. I can make up a lot of things and they're, they're probably good excuses. They're probably legitimate. But in the end, I think the church suffers because we don't invite, we're not open to. And even being this transparent has like been a journey, right? Mm-hmm. To be like, yeah, I think we kind of screwed up. Mm-hmm. And like it's interesting that, that you say people we've helped, because I would say, is that even the most important, right? Maybe it's that how many people have we connected through these places we've divided Right. Wow. Yeah, that'd be a that'd be a better metric, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just. Do we know each other? Mm-hmm. Are we together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I would um 
I'm processing this out loud, so I don't know. But uh, I've had the privilege of being a part of small churches, like little baby tiny churches, but also mega churches. Mm-hmm. And inside of the mega churches, I when I first in, uh, encountered a mega church, I thought there is no way <laughs> I'm going to know anybody. Nobody's going to know me. I'm going to just kind of get lost in the sauce. Um, as I engaged that large church, now I was on staff, so it's a little bit different. But as I engaged, I found inside that large ecosystem, there are all these smaller communities right. that are committed to your children, your singles, your seniors. There's all these little ecosystems inside of the bigger one. And as I'm thinking about neighborhoods, I'm thinking like, what if the church had that kind of posture of saying, I want to be committed to South Atlanta. I want to be committed to this geographic area. And I, we are really great with financial literacy. We are really great with children's ministry or whatever your great thing is. What things can we kind of take care of? And who else in this ecosystem is doing something similar? And how can we partner? So I think to Michelle's point of uh, being curious, uh, having a, a posture of saying, well, we may do something great here, but what is already happening here and who can we connect with? Mm-hmm. And the bigger picture for me is saying, I I would love for churches to say, I'm committed to this geographical area. I'm committed to the things mm. they're in this geographical area, not just to my church and my congregants, but to the store down the street that had a shooting. I yeah. should feel some type of way about that. Yeah. Or for the mama who keeps saying at this convenience store, the milk is always spoiled. Yeah. I should have a concern about that. Um, or I want to thank the Lord because there is a coffee shop or whatever the, the entity is that's doing well, like knowing the landscape and saying, I see that. How can we support that? How can we challenge? How can we grieve? How can we lament? How can we put our money mm-hmm. to serve this geographic area in order to make those connections, yeah. to be a community that's uh, perpetuating a connected community? Right. So I ain't got to have my name on all the stuff. I don't have to do an extra program. But if you're doing something great, how can I get behind that? Yeah. Well, I need to. I might need to know you first. Yeah. So the importance of relationship, and I need to know what I maybe don't know. So as a as a, a practitioner in the neighborhood, I'm not in the church anymore. But I want to humble myself and say, Hey, church, I'm gonna just assume the best. <laughs> I'm gonna assume the best. Thank you. Me. Thank you. And I want to draw you out. I want to yeah. call you not out, but I want to call you up to an opportunity. Uh, that we can work together because your voice, church, is important. And I don't mean the building. Mm-hmm. I don't mean a denomination. Yeah. I mean the people of God who love the Lord and who love people, who are taking their job, so to speak, seriously, yeah. that you would know the geographic area that the Lord has placed you in. You didn't get that real estate. You're not there because of great real estate. The Lord has called you to that area mm-hmm. and asked you to sow seeds in there. And so being people who are creating this relational equity and channels and conduits, uh, not just for you, but for everybody that's in that ecosystem. And we'll see what the Lord does with that. That's really helpful because I, I think that posture opens up a lot of doors because I will say there are a lot of times and there are a lot of small churches out there, right? So a lot. I know there are like a lot of churches like our size, 150 less. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I don't feel important mm-hmm. enough to curate that table. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, you know, I don't, <laughs> I can't even get you that many volunteers on a weekday. Like mm-hmm. it'd have to be like a special event and it, it, I would have to drive it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't have that. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel mm-hmm. that important. So for that invitation to come and, you know, there's a lot of psychology into like trying to be a church leader mm-hmm. and, and, and trying to be mm-hmm. more than what I'm not or try to be like, I have this kingdom vision that I can't live up to most right. days. I mean, even on a, I'm not a good husband most of the days. I'm not a good dad most of the days. Mm-hmm. Like I struggle with that. And then it's to try to make an impact. Yeah, I use that language, but I don't, I can't do none of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so. 
So partnering in that invitation to partner, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I love that you said or you brought up the idea of like you don't feel like you're important as a pastor. Yeah, yeah. And as we're talking, I just keep hearing that ringing in my ears of like the church doesn't believe that its voice is important anymore. Yeah. I think that's for whatever true. reason. Uh, you just feel like I what I have to say is not going to be helpful here. Somebody else can say it better or I don't have the capacity to even stand up or step up to the words I'm about to say. I can wax eloquence with you. Yeah. But when I have to put foot to flame, I can't do that. I can't show up to that. Mm. Uh, but if we say I'm not asking you individual to do something, what if we could do it? I'm inviting you into a conversation. I'm inviting you to bring what you have and yeah. then let the Lord do it. I think of that. Uh, the story where we have that five loaves and two fish. Two fish yeah. The Lord didn't say, well, you need more. Like, what else? He's like, well, what's in your hands? Right. Just show me what you got. Yeah. Uh, and so that same principle, I think, applies here of like, I'm not asking you to have more or be more than who you are. Just bring you to the table. Just remember that your voice is important. Yeah. And it's, I think it's important for agencies like FCS and others, even neighbors to say, hey, church, hello, somebody. Uh, you're important. And you're mm. not at the table. There's some dope stuff happening in and proximate to this neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods. And I do not see the church. Mm. They might be somewhere having a, a conversation in the cut, but I don't feel their presence. Yeah. I don't. They used to be palpable in conversations and I don't feel that. I don't see that mm. anymore. And it's important they step back to the table, yeah. uh, that they have that collective conversation, but for them to be talking to each other uh, and them talking to neighbor. One of the best ways that we can offer to see what it looks like to partner well with the neighborhood is for you to come here for a visit. We love hosting guests in historic South Atlanta. In the spring and the fall, we host a two-day immersive event called Open House. So please come, meet our team, see the work, walk our neighborhood. To register for this, go to fcsministries.org slash openhouse. Place Matters is produced by Focused Community Strategies, whose mission it is to partner with under-resourced neighborhoods to provide innovative and holistic development that produces flourishing communities and God's shalom. Place Matters is hosted by FCS's training and consulting team. If you'd like to inquire about our training and consulting services, please reach out to us via our website or find us on LinkedIn and social media. This information can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to watch these episodes, the video can be found on our YouTube channel. And if you like these episodes, please share them on social media. Your support means a lot to us. The show was edited by Tim Rhodes with music by Eric North. Special thanks to David Park, Becca Klein, and Rose Silva at FCS for their work in organizing and recording these sessions. We would like to say thanks to our partner, Lily Endowment, Inc., whose Thriving Congregations grant has made this podcast possible. Mm -hmm.